Hello, I'm Stephanie Lemek, and this is Building Trauma-Informed Workplaces. Today, we'll be talking about the third principle of trauma-informed workplace cultures. As a reminder, we're reviewing the principles of trauma-informed workplace cultures as defined by the Wounded Workforce, by organization which I founded, to build trauma-informed workplaces. If you haven't had a chance, make sure and go back and listen to the episodes that cover the first two principles of trauma-informed workplaces, safety and trust and transparency. Today, we'll be talking about community, building and fostering communities in the workplace as our third principle of trauma-informed workplaces. Let's start with a little bit of self-reflection. Think about the last time you felt incredibly alone, the last time you experienced extreme loneliness. For most of us, we don't have to think back that far. And for many of us, we may have experienced that feeling of loneliness in the workplace. The U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy released a report earlier this year, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation highlighting, among other things, that even before the COVID-19 pandemic, around half of American adults reported experiencing measurable loneliness. And Dr. Murthy highlights in this report his experience when he first started as U.S. Surgeon General back in 2014, having conversations with many people relating to the fact that Americans felt cut off from friends, loved ones, support systems, further exacerbating experiences of loneliness and isolation. So while Dr. Murthy's work is not directly connected to trauma-informed workplaces, it certainly goes hand in hand when we think about building community and supports within the workplace. When we think about trauma-informed workplaces. Most of you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, these principles are based on SAMHSA's principles of trauma-informed care. So where we use the term community and think about building and fostering community in workplaces, draw directly to trauma-informed care principles, that would go to peer support. What that is, is peer support is someone who has been or currently is in a similar situation as you, being there to provide support, reinforcement, kind of shared experiences. So we also want to think about that as we consider the concept of community in the workplace. It may be surprising to some that our issues with loneliness have been going on far before the pandemic began. Obviously, the pandemic exacerbated these feelings of loneliness and isolation because so many of us were cut off from our support systems and networks. But certainly, even before, measurable impacts of loneliness were affecting the U.S. population. How can that be? Dr. Murphy says it really well. You can feel lonely even if you have a lot of people around you. Because loneliness is about the quality of your connections. So we're looking at the quality and the depth of connection, the meaning, 
not just quantity. I'm sure we've all been there. You're in a room full of people and you're not talking to anyone. That can absolutely be a moment where you're feeling a sense of acute loneliness. When we discuss community at work, we're looking at how the workplace supports the essential human need of social support and belonging. So directly supports those feelings of community, need for support, need for belonging. And considering the amount of time the majority of adults spend working, positive, meaningful relationships at work are really important in creating that overall feeling of social support. Those feelings of social support within an organization can have significant implications of employee engagement. And for those of us who've been talking about employee engagement for years, I know I have. Um, I, I used to work at Gallup. I know a lot of HR practitioners are actively involved in employee engagement surveys. Probably one of the most well-known employee engagement surveys out there is the Q12 from Gallup. One of those Q12 Q stands for questions. So one of those 12 core questions from Gallup that measures employee engagement is, do I have a best friend at work? And a lot of people really wonder about this question. I remember when I was an HR practitioner um, administering the Q12 survey, um, funny enough, in a construction company, so we really got some pushback here. People really took pause with the language in that question. And if you've done any research or have any familiarity with the wording of Gallup's questions. They're quite deliberate. They're worded the way they are for a reason. And same thing with that best friend at work question, because again, we're looking at that depth, that quality of relationship. Do you have that person who you can go to, who you trust, that can help create that safe, supportive outlet for you within the workplace? And is such a huge indicator of how engaged someone is and how connected they are back into the workplace. But it's hard for you to think about it in the frame of reference of best friend at work. Think about a workplace where you had the most meaningful connections, most meaningful relationships. Maybe some of those relationships have even lasted beyond the workplace. How much more connected were you to your work? How much more connected were you to the idea of staying engaged in the mission, the values, other things going on in the organization? And were you less likely to look to leave than you had been in other organizations? Now let's flip that around and think about the last organization or team you were a part of where maybe those connections were not so great. Perhaps you never kind of solidified a really deep, meaningful connection with anyone. At work relationships felt very transactional. How did those feelings, those relationships, compare to the feelings of that team you were on where you had deep, meaningful relationships? It's probably pretty stark. And this gets to why people invest so much time in building out buddies, communities, relationships when someone is coming on board with a new team. It's also a reason 
that people get very frustrated when we think about a hybrid or remote workforce, because for many, they are not used to building those relationships either deliberately or just naturally in a virtual or hybrid setting. Um, and I would argue because you have to be deliberate in helping build and foster those relationships, they should be able to be built in an in-person, a hybrid or a remote setting. Regardless, perhaps your strategy will just look a bit different. Most of us understand the importance of strong relationships and the importance of community, but why is it so important to call out as a foundational principle of creating a trauma-informed workplace. Well, it's because trauma doesn't occur in a vacuum. An individual's experience occurs in the context of their community or communities. Community or a lack thereof can factor into how someone experiences a traumatic event, the potential long-term implications of that trauma, and workplace communities are included in these impacts. Because your workplace, the teams you're a part of, are part of your communities, they play a role in how traumatic experiences are well experienced and how those long-term effects may play out. For example, a strong, supportive community can help buffer against any of the negative effects of trauma. When individuals have access to supportive relationships, like family, friends, trusted coworkers, community groups, they are more likely to receive the emotional support, understanding, and validation they need to more effectively move through and heal from their experience of trauma. By raising awareness, reducing stigma, and promoting understanding, communities can create an environment that supports trauma survivors, prevents trauma, and fosters a culture of empathy and compassion. And that includes communities within the workplace. It's also really important to note that connecting with others who've gone through similar experiences can make you feel understood and realize your reactions, emotions are valid, and perhaps are something someone else has experienced. It's also really important here to recognize that a supportive community can be really pivotal in terms of rebuilding trust. We talked about how challenging it could be to rebuild trust in our trust and transparency discussion. So it's really important to have this powerful tool in the form of a safe, empathetic community when it comes to rebuilding trust. And these count, again, for any organization, including workplaces. It's also important for us to note that communities can also contribute in a negative manner for those who experience trauma as well. Negative community attitudes, victim blaming, or lack of, or lack of support may worsen the impacts of trauma. There's this concept called institutional betrayal, which is really fascinating. And when you have something bad happen and that experience is invalidated or you have a wrong response, what you have happen, you can create a second wound or a secondary trauma related to the response by a trusted institution, individual, or community. 
communities can also traumatize or re-traumatize their members. Trauma-informed workplaces are focused on building organizational cultures that are focused on understanding the prevalence of trauma and making sure to avoid creating new trauma or re-traumatizing survivors. It's important here because that organization is a community as well. So communities that are not thoughtful about members of their community, their differing experiences, how those events may show up in day-to-day life could intentionally or unintentionally create trauma or re-traumatize survivors. So focusing on creating supportive reciprocal communities is key when we're thinking about building communities in the context of a trauma-informed culture. You're like, I am all on board, Stephanie. That sounds great. We want to build communities at work. So obviously the organization as a whole is one large community, but we talk about building community throughout the organization. We also go back to that quote from Dr. Murthy about the quality of connection. If you're on a big 10,000 person organization, That is not probably creating community among all 10,000 of those people in a really strong, in-depth, you know, real peer-focused type of environment. So we want to think more deliberately about how we can foster community at work and throughout the workplace. So we want to think about a few different factors as we think about how we can build, how we can facilitate different communities within an organization. Great way to think about it is thinking about how you can create a sense of belonging, connection, and mutual support among employees within the organization. And it helps to have a collective identity that extends beyond individual roles, departments, and note that many communities absolutely exist within a single organization. So how can we look to foster communities or even recognize the communities that already exist within our organization? So one of the greatest ways to foster community is through common purpose or shared purpose. You probably already have one of those, Um, perhaps through your mission. If you're thinking more functionally, you know, what does your team do? What does your team contribute to the larger organization? Every member of your team should be able to speak to the overarching mission and goals of your organization and also how they or the team in general directly connects back to those goals. This is something HR professionals, we talk about a lot in terms of creating purpose, connecting purpose to people's work. It's also a great way to build community because we can create that sense of collective identity connected to that common purpose. And if we want to make sure we're deepening the sense of purpose, make sure as a leader you're being thoughtful and finding ways to show your team connection of their work to the overall purpose of the team and of the organization as well. And that'll help further cement that feeling. And we talked a little bit about this earlier, about in SAMHSA's model of trauma-informed care, peer support is such a key aspect of trauma-informed care principles and really what would be in place of communities for our purpose of trauma-informed workplaces. And when we talk about peer support, That refers to 
individuals who have experiences of trauma for SAMHSA's model. So peer support focuses on collaboration and sharing between individuals who have unique shared perspectives and experiences to support each other throughout their journey. Let's think about peer support. And let's move from, you know, peer support as it relates to experiences of trauma. And let's think about how we can use deliberate connection points throughout the employee journey to create those connections where there are shared perspective and experiences as it relates to the workplace. This is, this is obviously in addition to fostering that overall sense of community connected to purpose. So creating a sense of connection and belonging at all significant moments in an employee's life cycle in an employee's life cycle is an excellent way to foster this concept, this idea of peer support as it relates to the workplace, and it supports general culture building and growth and development as well. When we think about an employee journey or employee life cycle and some of these points, there are a few examples that are great to think about and reference points that are super helpful when we consider this idea of peer support. The first and the easiest to think of, we think about this a lot as we think about building out talent programs, HR programs within organization, and that's the employee onboarding experience. Can you find ways to create that shared experience, that sense of community and support for all the individuals who are onboarding or new hires? And maybe it's not the same day, maybe it's the same month, same quarter, same year, depending on the size and scope of your organization. It's really important we're thoughtful about how we create these categories so they work well for our organization. If you have a really small organization, you're not hiring a lot of new people. Having, you know, onboarding classes every week, that's not going to necessarily help with fostering community. So it may be more helpful to think about recognizing that group in a quarter or a year so you're helping kind of foster that sense of belonging within your group and you have that power to kind of self-describe what that onboarding group is and the onboarding process could be experiential onboarding classes or cohorts to go through you know different onboarding trainings or processing can also be an opportunity to lever mentorship or buddies. Especially, this is especially handy if perhaps you don't have a lot of a formal programming or a lot of new hires joining right away. It can be great to help create connection um, without having to have a lot of people moving through that experience at the same time. Another key point in the employee journey, of course, this isn't occurring for everyone, but it's one that's significant enough we want to call out, is that experience of becoming a new manager. So think about, you know, if you're a manager, you know, your first role as a manager, your first time in management, probably it would have been great to kind of have that sense of peer support, to have others supporting you, providing perspective kind of even commiserating with you on some of the challenges. So if that new manager kind of a step in the employee journey, some connection point examples could be manager meetings or retreats. And these could be, you know, retreats that go off somewhere or it could be, you know, a monthly meeting 
of only managers. Um, whatever structure works best for your organization. Think about your team, your organization, your culture to find the things that work best and what already exists. This also includes new manager training programs. And these could be both internal and external. So if you do not have the capacity to create new manager training in-house, which a lot of organizations don't, and that's okay, perhaps you have a preferred vendor that you like to use and you send new managers through in you know, cohorts of some kind. So they can kind of facilitate that internal connection, even though you're leveraging an external training. Another example of a step on the employee journey roadmap roadmap could be leadership. And again, much like new manager, leadership may have leadership cohorts and programs, again, internal or external, and those can be opportunities for folks to create connection and create that meaningful peer support. It could also be an opportunity for coaching. Perhaps there are coaching cohorts or coaching relationships to kind of create that meaning, that support as well. And finally, not something that we love to think of a lot, and perhaps not something we think about a lot when it comes to building internal communities, but actually a really great one. And when we think about offboarding, so kind of the final step in an employee journey life cycle with any organization, but perhaps not, and we'll get to that, is offboarding. So are there ways you could create a sense of community through an alumni program, or network, or facilitating connections of former members of your team. Those can be beneficial in terms of leveraging for future talent as well. Sometimes people like to come back to employers where they had a good experience, we call them boomerang employees. They're quite common. And then also, even if they don't, perhaps they're able to connect you with talent in their network in the future. So another employee group that we want to think about through that employee journey, even though it's at the end, another great way to create and maintain a sense of community and belonging associated with your organization. A super popular way to create community at least right now, a popular term would be employee resource or affinity groups. You may hear them called ERGs, and they are amazing. Um, they can be a great way to encourage community within your organization and create peer support when they're done well. Kind of HR and leadership, you know, provides funding, but they kind of self manage. And the sense of community is very genuine. And that genuine sense of community, those quality of connections is really, really powerful. But super important to be careful here. So it's important that ERGs have clear ground rules and the purposes are foundational to these groups to ensure that they are meaningful. You want it to be clear to folks what the purpose is. So when individuals self-select into these communities, they are in fact meaningful. And if there are any objectives attached, so if there are any kind of goals, objectives, purposes attached to these groups, make sure they're properly resourced and that expectations are clearly communicated to all to ensure that the validity of these organizations is not eroded. There are lots of great organizations that are doing amazing work around ERGs and affinity groups. 
So I would highly recommend checking out models for best practices around those to learn more if you're interested. I will say one of the challenges here is depending on the size of your organization, employee resource or affinity groups just may not scale um, if you do not have a large enough population. So that is another challenge around building community, but it is helpful to kind of for those larger organizations to kind of build community across a larger scale. So just keep that in mind. If you are working in a small organization, ERGs just may not make sense at this point, and that's completely okay. I do want to take a minute and talk a bit about mentorship programs. Oh, I've talked a lot about mentorship programs in my career and have a lot of mixed feelings about mentorship programs. These programs can be absolutely fantastic when they are well designed and well executed. And absolutely, they can do exactly what we're talking about today, creating a sense of connection and community and peer support, or even, you know, more senior leader type of support. I just really struggle with the forced nature of so many mentorship programs. I think of quality of connection naturally as genuine connection. And I think sometimes mentorship programs can get into a place of checking the box and assigning mentors or mentees without really being thoughtful about genuine relationship building, genuine connection. Um, and so I think when that genuine aspect is overlooked, really lessens the impact of mentorship, especially as it relates to building community. There are a lot more benefits than just building community when it comes to mentorship, but really being thoughtful about genuine creation is clear here. Mentorship can be amazing in forms of support from someone who's been there, but it happens the best when that mentorship comes in authentic ways. So from the examples I shared earlier, you know, connection points that can be available in the employee journey, employee process, I'm talking more about creating environments where people can forge genuine connections. So I think that that's an important call out when we think about building communities. It's important that we create environments and scenarios and resource those so people can forge genuine connections but when we try and assign genuine connections, I think that's where organizations get into a little bit of trouble because it, it's like assigning a best friend at work. Like it, it doesn't work that way. Um, you may have had this experience. I know I have. I personally victimized by escape rooms, force fun, team building events where you're put in these scenarios where you're forced to have this shared experience and it feels unnatural. When you force community, it's kind of that same feeling. So it's more about how do you create experiences and space? And it may be different for different people. It can be as complex as ERGs. It can be as complex as like multiple retreats for an organization throughout the year. It can be as simple as Slack channels based on, you know, different levels of interest. It's Thinking about how do you create opportunity for connection, not how do I force connection. It's a real key aspect when we think about community at work. Community is such a beautiful aspect. 
of work. And it can really be one of the most meaningful things we take from our work and our career, those relationships we make while we're working towards a common goal. I know I personally have several people in my life who I met through the workplace who are very dear to me and I consider best friends. The workplace really is a powerful avenue for creating these experiences. The key is making sure we're creating space for people to have the opportunity to build community, to build that lasting belonging, to work to help support each other, that sense of mutual support, and not forcing connection. Make the space for the magic to happen and then get out of the way. Thank you all so much for joining us for this podcast. We'll be having another amazing guest join us next week. So make sure to tune in. And then after that, we'll be talking about the fourth principle of trauma-informed workplace cultures, which is a great one, collaboration. Until next time, be well.